So, Bill, before we do this, I do feel obligated to just formally confess something that I've been meaning to say on the record. Oh, Pablo, I know that the points on Around the Horn matter and are meaningful and decide your future with the company. So you don't need to tell me that. In all seriousness, there is a story about how I earned those points that I do need to explain to you. Oh, no. I've been working at ESPN for 10 years this October, which is a mind-blowing statistic of its own. Thank you very much. But I have been giving, like, takes about football on all these platforms for about a decade now. And my go-to strategy this entire time has essentially been to just go and look up what Bill Barnwell thinks about something. (laughs) And then, like, maybe if I have the energy, like, graft a very weird analogy onto that. But to mostly just steal your rigorously researched conclusion and pass it off on TV as my own. That's fine, Pablo. If I'm going to be plagiarized at length by anybody, (laughs) I would much rather it be you. I'm the one who's willing to say that you probably are due, like, fractional around the horn reparations. (laughs) Like, you deserve some points. I'm here to tell you that, Bill. Sadly, I cannot trade them in for anything in the real world, Pablo. But it's good to know that the next time I am at an airport or at the gym, I can point at the TV and say, hey, I'm not actually on that show. But in spirit, I am on that show. This is also why we bring you on to the show today in a format that we've never done on this show before. Because we're going to do a two-part NFL preview. We're going to do one episode on the AFC today, another on the NFC tomorrow. And it's a lot. It's a lot of takes. It's a lot of research, a lot of analysis. We're about to unload on our listeners. So how are you feeling, Bill Barnwell? Man, I have plagiarized for a decade about what's about to happen over these next five or so months. I'm strangely excited, Pablo. I I do feel like, you know, not that this is a a universe where the world is back to normal because certainly it is not. But this feels like a universe where, at least from the NFL's perspective, there is not the specter of COVID hanging over things in the way it did in 2020 and 2021. Mm. The chances that an entire coaching staff is going to be ruled out and there's going to be a head coach coaching a playoff game from his bedroom seems less likely. (laughs) That the Broncos will be stuck playing a wide receiver at quarterback with three days notice. Oh my God, that's right. Seems less likely to happen. That did happen. So yes, things are still different. Yes, things are still weird. But the idea that this could be something vaguely resembling a normal season where we're not going to have those conversations does seem kind of exciting to me heading into 2022. The summer is finally over, and I know that most of the country is currently being sautéed by this heat wave, and also that we are about to watch a lot of people whose jobs require them to wear white after Labor Day. But still, summer is over, football is upon us, and all week on ESPN Daily, ahead of opening night on Thursday, we've decided to make like America, basically, and go all in on the NFL. So today... We go back to school with Bill Barnwell, the sharpest football analyst in this country, who educates us about the absolutely stacked American football conference. And he lets us copy his homework in the process. 
I'm Pablo Torre. It's Wednesday, September 7th. This is ESPN Daily. Delicious meat nutritious. In the snack that packs a real protein punch, wonderful pistachios, one of the highest protein nuts out there. Each one-ounce serving has six grams of protein, giving you over 10% of your daily value. Trust me, I've been eating them like there's no tomorrow all week. Wonderful pistachios also come in a variety of flavors and sizes, perfect for enjoying with your family and friends or taking them with you on the go. And you, like me, are on the go a lot, taking the kids to school, hopping from meeting to meeting, shopping for groceries, whatever it may be. Well, the good news is not only are Wonderful Pistachios a complete protein providing all nine essential amino acids, they're also great for all your adventures. So whether you're a pistachio purist who loves cracking open every nut or you prefer the convenience of no-shells pistachios, Wonderful Pistachios has got you covered. Grab Wonderful Pistachios and elevate your snack game today. Visit WonderfulPistachios.com to learn more. Bill, I want to start with appropriately, the team that I consider your namesake, a team that um, I stare at and I'm like, man, there is just one question that I have for you about the Buffalo Bills. Mm -hmm. And again, if you forgot, this is a team that lost to Kansas City in the divisional round in one of just the all-time great absurd games. But a team that seems to be contemplating a truly existential question every year. Which is, is this the year, Bill? Is year number, I'm looking this up now, is year number 63 (laughs) of existence for the Buffalo Bills finally going to be their year? I have training in this, Pablo. I did live in Boston, as I think you did as well, when the Red Sox won their first World Series victory. Outside of Boston. Outside of Boston. (laughs) I'm sorry. Just over the river. What an asshole. (laughs) (laughs) But for the Red Sox, it wasn't as if that 2014 was the best team they had over that run, but it was a team where they had very good talent and they had luck at exactly the right time when they needed some luck. And for the Bills, 2021 did not feel like that year by most measures when it comes to play-by-play performance like DVOA or ESPN's Football Power Index or Pro Football References stats. The Bills were a better team in 2021 than they were in 2020. Mm. By win-loss record, not so much. The Bills were 13 and 3 in 2020, 11 and 6 in 2021. In a universe where if Josh Allen picks up that fourth and goal sneak from the two-yard line against Tennessee. On a play where he was, I think, 13 of 14 otherwise as a pro, not only do the Bills win that game against Tennessee, but they're probably the one seed in the AFC, and they don't have to play Kansas City Mm. in the divisional round. The biggest difference between the 2020 Bills and the 2021 Bills is that the 2020 Bills were very good in games decided by seven points or less, a topic we're going to hit several times during these previews. Yes, And the 2021 Bills were 0-5. In those same games, Pablo, (laughs) we remember Josh Allen and how good he was in the postseason last year. But what's masked by that is that he was not that guy during the regular season. He had games where he was impressive. There were moments where Josh Allen looked like the Josh Allen we know can be the best player in football. 
but by a lot of metrics, he was average or below average last year. His completion percentage, yards per attempt, interception rate, passer rating, all at or below league average in 2021. Mm. He couldn't score a touchdown on nine drives in a game against the Urban Meyer Jacksonville Jaguars. <laughs> I forgot about this. <laughs> to me, that seems more like an aberration. So I think with this Bills team, when you look at what might lead them to be a better team when it comes to win-loss record in 2022, it does feel like Josh Allen taking a step forward during the regular season is probably their clearest path to getting there. Wait, so you're saying that the memories that I have of the Bills last year, if you look closer at them, it's actually less confidence-inspiring, which feels like a thing that Buffalo probably historically was already anticipating in its bones. Yeah, you're a part of the national media, Pablo, and you only remember the last two games where Josh Allen was a superstar. But I really think that this offense is going to be very, very good. Losing Brian Dayball, their offensive coordinator, is going to hurt, but... You look at a lot of the moves they've made, a lot of the players who left are guys like Emmanuel Sanders, Cole Beasley, Starlo Talele, Daryl Williams. Those guys are not in football anymore. They're out of the league. Mm. Players like Mario Addison, Jerry Hughes, and John Feliciano, they signed modest deals elsewhere. A lot of the players who left might seem meaningful in terms of the snaps they played, but the league didn't value those guys as significant contributors after leaving Buffalo, whereas the biggest player they brought in Von Miller was an absolute freak during the postseason. So, Bill, the question here about the Bills is, I guess, pretty simple. It's simply, is this going to be a better team this year than they were last year? I think they'll be a little healthier. I think they'll be a little luckier in one-score games. And I think Allen will play better during the regular season. So I think even if the defense takes a step backwards, even if they aren't quite as good as they were on a snap-by-snap basis, I think they're going to have a better record in 2022 than they did in 2021. I do need to pivot around to the rest of the AFC East because what is happening in Miami, we should warn you here, of course, that Tuanon is listening to all of our episodes now. But when you see what's going on with the experiment that's happening in Miami with Tua Tungavailoa and Tyreek Hill and Mike McDaniel... What are you thinking to yourself as you watch the early returns on this over the offseason? I feel like any time Tuanon comes up, I have to talk about them like BTS. <laughs> I just want to say that I love and respect That's right. Tuanon. Please I'm a, I'm do a not member come of, for me. Yep. Of Tua Army, please uh, <laughs> protect me. I will say that I am inclined to think the way Tuanon seems to think about the 2020 and 2021 seasons. Mm. And say that evaluating Tua Tagovailoa based on how he performed those two years is basically pointless. They were a mess on offense. They could not protect Tua Tagovailoa to save his life or the lives of anybody else related to this football team. They ran the highest rate of RPOs, run pass options in football, just because they weren't confident they could protect to a Tango Vialoa for the two or three seconds he needed to run a conventional offense. Mm. This offseason, you would think things might be different. Of course, the biggest move, trading for wide receiver Tyreek Hill from the Miami Dolphins, but also signing left tackle Teron Armstead away from the New Orleans Saints, one of the best tackles in all of football when healthy. Of course, there's plenty of weapons here with Hill, Mike Isicki back on a franchise tag, Jalen Waddell entering his second season, and new head coach Mike McDaniel is regarded as a run game wizard. Now, the issue, I suppose, is making all these pieces 
come together. McDaniel has to take, for example, a Kyle Shanahan-style offense that prefers to go under center and hand the ball off there and run play action off of a more traditional-looking offense with a quarterback in Tango Violoa, who, again, I love and respect, <laughs> who exclusively operated pretty much out of the pistol or shotgun depth, not only in college, but also as a pro quarterback. So, there is plenty of potential here, Pablo, but lots of questions about how it will actually pan out when it comes to the on-field mesh in 2022. Right. I mean, look, this is a first-time head coach, and it feels like when you hire him, you do it because you're dreaming of having your own Sean McVay, right? Or because you secretly tried to hire Sean Payton and Tom Brady and got found out by the league and couldn't do that. It could be <laughs> one of those two possibilities. But continuing down the conspiracy line of thinking, Bill... We go to New England, and the team that the Dolphins are going to be facing week one is, of course, the Patriots. And we've covered this story, too, with Seth Wickersham on this podcast. But I really do want your sense of things, your sense of who is really running the New England Patriots offense. And does Bill Belichick, in your view, actually really know what he's doing? I have a theory, Pablo, Ooh. for understanding Bill Belichick at this point of his legendary Hall of Fame caliber career. And it's very simple. Bill Belichick is 70 years old. And Pablo, I don't know how often you interact with people who are 70 years old or elderly folks, but <laughs> they're not really all that inclined to change the way they do things. They're very set in their ways. Bill, I, I just filled in on PTI with Tony Kornheiser. All of this <laughs> is ringing incredibly accurate. They go to the same barber and yes. the same restaurants. Yes. And however they solve problems 25 years ago, they solve problems the same way today. <laughs> and when you look at the Patriot staff, Pablo, it looks like it's staffed by people from the Washington Post in 1998. <laughs> it is former Patriots coaches like Joe Judge and Matt Patricia, former players like Gerard Mayo and Troy Brown, and people who sprung from Bill Belichick's loins, including defensive coaches Steve Belichick and Brian Belichick. Oh, a literal loins. Got it. Yes. yes. Not, no figurative <laughs> loins here on the show. Other coaches, Nick Saban comes to mind in Alabama, Belichick's friend and longtime confidant. They bring in coaches from fired regimes. They bring in people who have different perspectives to try and add some outside influence to what's working with a current program. With Bill Belichick, it seems like the opposite. It seems like they want to just build around the core components of what they've done in years past and not bring in new voices to change how they approach things, which leads you to Joe Judge and Matt Patricia running an offense, which <laughs> Admittedly, by their resumes, they are not qualified to do. Matt Patricia was a former defensive coach before he was the head coach of the Lions. Joe Judge, a special teams coordinator for the vast majority of his time with the Patriots. But there is a solution here, and it's a more subtle one than it might seem. Mm. The solution for anything when it comes to the Patriots is just mix more Bill Belichick in there. And that is what I think is going to happen here. Bill Belichick has had a meaningful role in years past in helping Tom Brady prepare for opposing defenses and opposing defensive game plans. And I think he has people he can trust on the defensive side of the ball. Now, I don't think Belichick's going to have a offensive coordinator title. I don't know if he's going to actually be calling the plays on Sunday, but especially if the Patriots struggle early, Pablo, I wouldn't be surprised if Bill Belichick took more of the offensive responsibilities on as the season continues. So basically, the New England Patriots are going to be Bill Belichick and his literal and figurative large adult sons. Yes. Everyone 
if the Patriots organization has had to pass some kind of weird Bill Belichick-related initiation to get there. And if we were to continue just reverse engineering Bill Belichick DNA, Bill, we would eventually get to a conversation about the New York Jets. And this is where I have to now establish that, look, we're not going to be able to cover every team in depth. So apologies to listeners, to the producer of this podcast, possibly (laughs) Jets fans who have been through a lot and are only going to get like a couple sentences from Bill Barnwell on their team. But give me that thought about the Jets. So the thought with the Jets, no matter what their record is, no matter how poorly their defense plays, is that they can just get a competent season from Zach Wilson after he returns from his knee injury. That would be such a positive step in the right direction. The last time, Pablo, the Jets had a quarterback 25 or under post an above-average season was 1985. Mm. It was Ken O'Brien. I was one year old. It's time. (laughs) Yeah, Zach Wilson was not alive at this point, but the people he was allegedly involved with most recently, romantically, absolutely (laughs) were. So shout out to him. So we move on, Bill, to what has been labeled the NFL's group of death. And this is a soccer term that has been borrowed to describe a division with Patrick Mahomes and Justin Herbert and Russell Wilson and Derek Carr. And so does that title, does that group of death moniker sound right to you? How do you assess the hierarchy here in the AFC West? I think it fits for quarterbacks, right? I mean, this is maybe the best one through four grouping of quarterbacks we've ever seen. Mm. for an NFL division. I looked at that earlier this year for ESPN.com, and it it really fits. Based on how they've played in years past, how they project to perform in 2022, they could be the best we've ever seen. Man. I think on top of that, when I think about the quarterbacks in this division and how they're clumped together, it almost feels like we're insulting Patrick Mahomes, (laughs) which maybe we're spoiled by how good he was during his MVP season several years ago. I mean, remember what happened last year. The Chiefs were a mess the first half of the season. It felt like Patrick Mahomes threw three tipped interceptions each and every week. Yes. And they still survived. They were fine on offense. Once they adapted during the second half of the season, Mahomes was second in the league in QBR behind Aaron Rodgers, threw 17 touchdowns against three picks. They adapted to the two high looks they were seeing defensively and thrived. So to me, I think just based on the average expectation for 2022, if I'm picking the best quarterback of these four, it's Patrick Mahomes. But if you're asking me who has the best chance of having a stratospheric season and winning MVP, yeah, yeah, I might take Justin Herbert because there's just throws that Justin Herbert makes that other quarterbacks don't even consider making. <laughs> They're not part of the progression. They're just there to kind of distract the defense. Those are throws Justin Herbert not only looks at, but actually completes on a week-after-week basis. He might have the most tools of any quarterback in football, which is crazy in a league with Josh Allen and Patrick Mahomes and so many other incredible quarterbacks. Mm. And ESPN's total QBR metric already thinks Herbert's there in terms of the top-tier quarterbacks in football. Last year was a down season for quarterbacks on the whole, but Herbert was way up there. He improved from 13th in QBR as a rookie to third in QBR last season. And on top of that, Pablo, we're going to talk about Russell Wilson and how the Broncos might believe in him in a way that the Seattle Seahawks weirdly did not over the course of Wilson's tenure at that team. Mm -hmm. But the Chargers are already all in on Justin Herbert. They threw at the sixth highest rate in football in neutral game scripts last year. And Herbert's one of the biggest reasons why Brandon Staley has been so aggressive on fourth down. 
There's every reason to believe Herbert can take that next step forward and be one of the game's best quarterbacks. He just has to do it for 17 games this year. So the Russell Wilson end of things, Bill, I do want to jump on that because Russ is turning 34 in November and he just got this five-year $245 million extension, $165 million of which is guaranteed, which makes it in totality the third most lucrative contract we've ever seen. And we've seen him recently just like leaning hard into all of these new catchphrases, right? Broncos country, let's ride. Broncos country, let's ride. But how different do you think this Russell Wilson is going to not just sound, but like actually look on the field with Denver? Hmm. There's this really sort of fascinating story here about being careful for what you wish for. Because, of course, for years with Russell Wilson in Seattle, the idea was always, as we talked about on this show, let Russ cook. Let Russ throw the ball more. This is going to be great. If the Seahawks just get out of Russell Wilson's way, they're going to win a Super Bowl but we saw what happened in 2020. Wilson was the MVP of the first half of the season, throwing the ball more often than ever before. And during the second half of the season, they came back to earth. The same adjustments that Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs made when it came to attacking two high coverages, mm -hmm. Russell Wilson and the Seahawks did not make those same adjustments. They were unable to have a coherent, sustainable game plan for stopping teams who took away deep throws. And to be fair, Russell Wilson's style has never been to operate from quick game, get the ball out immediately, hit five or six yards and move on. Russ wants to ride. He wants to <laughs> ride constantly. He wants to scramble for five seconds and hit a 30-yard pass. He wants to throw balls into tight windows downfield and hit incredible completions. He has the ability to do that, and few other quarterbacks do. That's always been his style. And that big question for the Broncos and Wilson in 2022 is what happens if Russell Wilson gets what he wants and what happens when opposing defenses adjust to that? Is Russell Wilson not going to be big enough in stature to operate in tight spaces over the middle of the field on the first couple seconds of every down when he's operating out of quick game? Will the Broncos be able to run the ball well? And if the Broncos do run the ball well, will that upset Wilson because he's not throwing the ball frequently enough? I think there's going to be a really hot start for this team, given that they play the Seahawks, the Texans, the Raiders, the Colts, the Jets, and the Jaguars all before their midseason bye. Mm. But I do wonder what's going to happen when there is that inevitable fallback and Wilson does struggle and what the plan B is going to look like from Wilson and new head coach Nathaniel Hackett. So what you're saying is that the whole idea of Russ finally getting all of the cooking privileges <laughs> that he was searching for, that that might not actually be all it's cracked up to be. Just because you have the ability to cook, Pablo, does not mean it's a good idea for you to cook. As anybody <laughs> who is entrusted with a microwave in college at 17 years old can tell you. Yeah, my wife said more or less that to me earlier this month, actually. But I do want to run a little quick game with you here, Bill, with the Raiders. Because what's happening in Vegas is a thing we just profiled on the show yesterday. But, you know, play the role of building inspector here for a second. Like, what are you seeing underneath the very shiny surface of Las Vegas? I'm excited about Devontae Adams being added to this roster, Pablo. But they're missing so many core pieces from years past. The Raiders had 13 top 100 picks between 2018 and 2020 under John Gruden. That should be the core of their team right now, Pablo. Mm. Just one of them, left tackle Colton Miller, turned into an above-average starter. Several players were out of football, and the Raiders just cut 2021 first-round pick Alex Leatherwood after one season 
that almost never happens. Teams are too embarrassed to give up on a player right. after one year. Actually, acquiring Devontae Adams is, in that context, just sort of sad. <laughs> I mean, it's sad for Devontae Adams. It feels like the Raiders were left with some change in their pocket from the John Gruden era and traded it for the shiniest thing at the pawn shop. I just think there's too many holes elsewhere for the Raiders to compete in the league's toughest division. All right, coming up, what we should expect from Lamar Jackson and Joe Burrow this season, and also the playoff team from a year ago that is most likely to disappoint. Vivid Seats wants to get you to the games you love this spring. Experience every pitch, assist, and game-winning shot live and in person. And the best part? Each transaction is a step toward a free 11th ticket with Vivid Seats rewards. Score unbeatable perks like free tickets, surprise seat upgrades, and annual birthday deals. As the official ticketing partner of ESPN, Vivid Seats is offering you $20 off your first $200 ticket purchase with code DAILY. That's code DAILY. Visit VividSeats.com or download the app today. Vivid Seats. Experience it live. Now let's talk about the play of the week. The pressure to follow up Hypnotic and Cognac weighing heavy on the team. Hypnotic was in the cup, blue, and ready for the play. And boom, Añejo Tequila came in with a smooth assist to Hypnotic's tropical fruit finish. Shaken, strained, poured. It was green and good. The playmaking splash shifted the tempo. Another great cocktail from the Hypnotic team. Every season is hypnotic and tequila season. Hypnotic liqueur, Bardstown, Kentucky, 17% alcohol by volume. Hypnotic reminds you to think wisely, drink wisely. So, Bill, we are now in the AFC North, and the Ravens, when I think about their season last year, I remember them as insanely injured. And now, actually, like, the Raven, their mascot, is also injured. <laughs> Shout out to Poe. Get well soon, I suppose. But Lamar Jackson is now playing without a contract also. And that's really been the storyline of this offseason. So just give us a quick vibe check, Bill. I believe that's the analytic term of art here. <laughs> give us a quick vibe check on the Baltimore Ravens heading into this season. I think you may have undersold the injuries for the Ravens last year, Pavel, because we're talking about historically historically injured. According to Football Outsiders, the adjusted games lost that they have there. The Ravens were the most injured team in the history of that statistic. Mm. At running back, the Ravens were down multiple starters before the season even began. At defensive back, they were doing the same thing I typically do on football Sundays. Yes, as Baltimore's former defensive coordinator, Wink Martindale, explained. What kind of lessons did you learn of trying to overcome? I know it's... Don't... Don't go to DoorDash to find a backup corner. Yeah, you never want to task rabbit a cornerback, I feel like. <laughs> that seems troubling. It was just a nightmare. Just six of Baltimore's projected starters lasted the entire season. So yes, just on sheer chance, whether it was randomness, whether it was just a bad year, or whether they neglected to sacrifice Poe's ACL before the season the way they did this year, I have to figure the Ravens are going to be healthier and happier in 2022. But where does it leave Lamar, Bill, in all of this? 
<laughs> Lamar Jackson has spent the offseason yelling at me on Twitter for suggesting that the Ravens might trade Marquise Brown, which, oh, by the way, happened <laughs> right. several weeks later. Oh my that Lamar God. Jackson, Pablo. I forgot it. By the way, kudos to you, Bill. I'm glad you waited till this podcast for the victory lap on the Hollywood Brown trade. I got yelled at on the way to my wedding by Lamar Jackson. <laughs> Pablo. That's where I was when I was getting oh. Mina Kimes yelling at me on Twitter saying his name is actually Bill Barnwell with 12 L's. Oh, That's where I was Jesus. when that happened. But I will say I am very optimistic for Mr. Jackson's chances in 2022, slightly in part because of what happened the last time the Ravens faced similar circumstances with their exciting young quarterback. Now, granted, a very different kind of quarterback in Joe Flacco. But remember, Pablo, when Joe Flacco's rookie contract was ending, he did not sign an extension with the Ravens. He bet on himself heading into that fifth season. And oh, by the way, somehow Joe Flacco produced one of the greatest postseasons we've ever seen from an NFL quarterback <laughs> and won a Super Bowl. Granted, the resulting contract handicapped the Ravens for years to come until they <laughs> drafted one Lamar Jackson. But Five years of misery for a Super Bowl is a trade the Ravens would be happy to make. Yeah, so for the record here, if you're keeping score at home, Joe Flacco, Lamar Jackson, and Bill Barnwell, all elite. <laughs> One could say. So in terms of how good the Bengals are, we should talk about them here, right? Yes. They were in the Super Bowl. Obviously, they have a quarterback in Joe Burrow who feels like... I don't know, the coolest person in any room that he walks into. So does this feel like something special to you, the beginnings of it, at least? I just want to be half as cool as Joe Burrow. I, I think the Bengals are a legitimate team, but maybe not quite as legitimate as they looked at the end of the season. Because remember, Pablo, think about the Bengals last year. Yes, they did beat the Chiefs. They beat the Titans, who were the top seed in the AFC. They came within a drive of winning the Super Bowl. All that matters, but the same team lost to the Bears. <laughs> they got blown out by the Browns. They needed a two-touchdown comeback to beat Urban Meyer's Jaguars. Totally forgot about all of this, too. On the whole, the Bengals were about average last year, 17th in DVOA, alongside teams who fired their coaches, like the Vikings and the Broncos. They were 15th by ESPN's Football Power Index. The evidence kind of suggests they were a good team that happened to get extremely hot at exactly the right time, mm. which... Eli Manning built a dynasty that way. Sure. It's entirely possible to make that work and win a Super Bowl. But the one argument I think Bengals fans can make to suggest that there's something different about this team that's going to stick into 2022 is that Burrow was recovering from a torn ACL. Through the first 14 weeks of the year, the Bengals were 7-6. and six. They threw at the 17th highest rate in football in neutral situations, basically a league average team when it came to throwing the ball. From week 15 on, they went 6-1 and one with Burrow at quarterback. The Bengals threw at the third highest rate in football. They let Joe Cook in those situations. So if the Bengals try to turn the gas off and run a more balanced offense, I'm expecting them to be disappointed. If they let Joe Burrow play the way he played towards the end of 2021, I think they could be a different sort of team than the one we saw lose to the Bears early in the 2021 season. Okay, so in the interest of keeping the gas on here, Bill... Yes. Is it possible to give us a quick thought on the Browns and also the Steelers <laughs> here? I know this is an offseason that is impossible to summarize briefly, but where are you on those two teams? 
The Browns basically seem to be sacrificing 2022 to have Deshaun Watson on their roster for 2023 and beyond. So we'll treat them that way. Mm. As for the Steelers, one of my favorite streaks in football is Mike Tomlin having 16 seasons without a losing record. Last year, they had to do that by going 7-1-1 in games decided by seven points or less. Mm. Kenny Pickett was pretty good during the preseason, but with Mitch Trubisky at the start of week one, Pickett's going to have to come in pretty soon to stretch Tomlin's run to 17 years. Okay, so now we finally get to talk about the run that Urban Meyer had in Jacksonville. (laughs) (laughs) We're in the AFC South now, Bill, and we start with the Jaguars, because the last time we were talking about Urban Meyer, he was kicking his kicker and ultimately getting the boot himself, as it happened. And then we witnessed the NFL's first ever clown out, (laughs) which I do want to commemorate here, right? The team's own fans dressed as clowns to protest Trent Baalke, the GM, who did not get the boot, as it happens. And so the stock that is Trevor Lawrence, as a stock picker, what are you thinking to yourself right now? Just feeling bad for those fans who had to dress up as clowns and didn't even get what they wanted. Truly. Trent Baalke. I mean, a fitting metaphor on a couple of levels. Yeah. Yes, very fair. And also probably the clown makeup washed off in the pool at the Jaguar <laughs> Stadium, you would figure. It blended in with the other just mysterious liquids swirling around. <laughs> I am pretty optimistic about Trevor Lawrence and the Jaguars in 2022. All relative, of course, relative to where they were a year ago. But they hired Doug Peterson after his tenure with the Philadelphia Eagles. And several years ago, if we had been doing ESPN Daily after Chip Kelly's firing, we would have been very concerned about the Eagles. They looked like an absolute mess after Chip Kelly had that year as general manager. Yeah. Two years later, they won the Super Bowl. And they won the Super Bowl because Doug Peterson managed to develop not just Carson Wentz, but Nick Foles into viable quarterbacks at the highest possible level. Now, Trevor Lawrence coming out of college was a much better prospect than either Carson Wentz or Nick Foles. So even though he struggled in 2021, even though the numbers are not pretty, I'm optimistic that he can be a better player than we are thinking heading into 2022 because we've seen really exciting quarterbacks take a major leap forward once they had competent coaching and players around them. Andrew Luck with the Colts in 2012, Joe Burrow with the Bengals a year ago, and even some second-year quarterbacks in addition to Burrow like Peyton Manning with the Colts and Jared Goff with the Rams. Freed from, I would say, the worst NFL coaching situation of the last 20 years, (laughs) I'm counting on Lawrence to be more like the guy we expected coming out of Clemson this upcoming season. Okay, so you're buying Trevor Lawrence stock, but I also know, Bill, because I just read a recent column of yours, that elsewhere in this division, Mm -hmm. you are selling high on the Tennessee Titans, right? I mean, this was the number one seed in the AFC last year, but this is one of your NFL teams that you project to decline this season. And so why is that? Yes, so they are in my column for the teams most likely to decline in 2022. The good news is that column typically hits about 80% of the time, and it did last year. The bad news is they were on the list for 2021 and they were the one team out of five, (laughs) the 20% that did not decline last season. So Tennessee was not especially good in one score games during Mike Fable's first two seasons at the helm. 2020, they go seven and two in those games, expecting them to be worse in those games. Well, they were six and two last year. So a little worse, but not enough to make a significant dent in their record. And maybe two years is proof that they just have a secret formula that no one else in the NFL has been able to figure out. But number one, even though they've been very good in one-score games during the regular season, both of their playoff games over the past two years have resulted in close losses. So that formula hasn't worked for them in the postseason for some reason. Mm. And number two, 
even if you look at teams who have been great in one-score games two years in a row, theoretically proving this mysterious formula wrong, in year three, they're basically 500 in those same games. So maybe Tennessee will be able to defy the odds and make me look stupid again in 2022, but someone else is going to make me look stupid this year, Papo. That is the (laughs) thing I promise you about the 2022 season. But speaking of looking stupid, I do want to talk about the Texans real quick here, Bill. (laughs) But also the Colts, actually, to be fair, because these are teams in this division who all seem kind of trapped on their own special treadmill. Absolutely. I mean, the Colts seem destined to win nine or ten games every season with a competent quarterback. And I don't see that cycle changing in 2022. Just Matt Ryan happens to be the quarterback now. Mm. And the Texans seem destined to win four games every season and fire their head coach before making an inexplicable hire afterwards. (laughs) And I don't see that cycle changing either after the 2022 campaign. But speaking of cycles refusing stubbornly to change, Bill, you know what happens at the end of an episode? Oh, no. Where we preview a season. Give me your admittedly way too early, possibly reckless, possibly going to make you look stupid, but nonetheless demanded prediction as to who's going to come out of the AFC this season. I'm so sorry to do this to their fans, especially because I guess I technically qualify as part of hashtag Bills Mafia (laughs) as a Bill, but I'm going to pick the Bills. I think they were the best team in the conference last year, which is terrible luck. I think they will be the best team with kind of okay luck this upcoming season. I can hear already our Bills fan, Aaron Vale on staff, just vomiting out of excitement and terror. The good news is now she qualifies to play offensive line for Nebraska. <laughs> Bill, will you come back tomorrow? Will you do this again tomorrow for the NFC? Well, Pablo, I know that the various afternoon programming shows on ESPN do occasionally bring up the <laughs> NFC. So I will also come back and talk about them as well. Yes, thank you for being so kind to all of us in hashtag Bill Mafia. Thank you, Papa. I'm Pablo Torre. This has been ESPN Daily. And we'll talk to you tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs>